From KALW in San Francisco, this is Bread and Circus. Support for this public radio podcast comes from the History Channel, presenting 1968 with Tom Brokaw, Sunday, December 9th at 9 p.m., 8 central, on the History Channel. Do you ever get the impression that the media doesn't take life very seriously? You've probably heard the saying, gotta kiss a few frogs before you find your prince, right? Ladies, you're wearing the wrong bra. Because thousands of cucumbers slid all over the highway. Were there any stars in danger? So you want to get a beer without ever getting off the couch, my friends? We're talking about Twinkies. We're here to take you beyond that bread and circus and serve up news that matters. I'm Holly Kernan. Fifty years after the Little Rock Nine walked through the doors of Central High, thousands of American schools are still segregated. That's partly because of where students live and partly because of socioeconomics. Many school districts have tried to better integrate their schools. But after a Supreme Court ruling handed down earlier this year, many are wondering if segregation is simply here to stay. Last June, a divided court ruled that school districts in Seattle, Washington, and Louisville, Kentucky employed assignment plans that violate the U.S. Constitution because they considered racial characteristics of individual students. The vote came down to Anthony Kennedy, and even he waffled. But his deciding opinion set a new standard. Districts should try to make their schools racially diverse, but they cannot pick and choose students based on race. It sounds confusing, right? Well, one Bay Area school district has been using that model since 1995. In Berkeley, an innovative student integration plan satisfies the new legal standard, and school district officials around the country are paying attention. So what makes the Berkeley plan work? And can it be transplanted into other districts? Thea Croman reports. It's 7.50 a.m. at Malcolm X Elementary in Berkeley. In Sarita Johnson's second grade class, 19 bright-eyed kids squirm in their seats. Set in a three-story 1930s building on a quiet, tree-lined street, Malcolm X could be any school in any town. And Malcolm X just kind of has this old-fashioned school feel. You know, it's got big high ceilings and huge windows. But Julie Randolph, mother of two sons who are enrolled at the school, says that's just a small part of why she chose Malcolm X. My boys really like it, you know. Um, They feel comfortable there. Uh, They feel comfortable being there. Randolph says it's the mix of kids, the racial and socioeconomic diversity in Berkeley Unified's classrooms that she really appreciates about her son's education. And she says makes going to school every day something her sons actually enjoy. My experience as a kid was of being one of, you know, one or two, maybe three black kids in a class. Pretty much most of my schooling. And it was really uncomfortable. I hated it. Um, And I did not want that for my boys at all. Randolph says that's why she moved to Berkeley, because the public schools are good and they have diverse student bodies. And Randolph believes that diversity in the classroom is as essential to her boys' education as math or reading. So for kids to actually go to school with people who are members of those other communities and see that they're ordinary people is huge. You know, it's, it's kind of the essence of why you want educational integration. For 40 years, the Berkeley community and the school district have been committed to that diversity. 
1968, Berkeley was the first district in the nation to voluntarily desegregate its schools. That moment was captured in a radio documentary produced by Lou Hartman. The Board of Education resolved that September 1968 would mark the complete desegregation of the Berkeley schools within a framework of quality education. Now, Berkeley has largely achieved that goal. The student bodies in each of its 15 public schools reflect the diverse population of the city of 100,000. Still, Berkeley's student assignment plan stands on shaky ground. The Supreme Court ruling handed down this summer puts stringent limits on the use of race in public school integration policies, and districts all over the U.S. are reworking their plans. The real issue is what kinds of race-conscious measures are permissible. Professor Goodwin Liu specializes in constitutional law at UC Berkeley's Bolt Hall School of Law. Liu says that while the new legal standard is limiting, it does allow for some diversity policies. And he says Berkeley's plan may pass muster. What the Berkeley plan does, um, and it's very clever, I think, is that every kid is assigned a set of diversity characteristics based on the um, composition of his or her neighborhood. Here's how it works. The district divides the city into sections made up of eight or fewer city blocks, which they call neighborhoods. It then assigns each neighborhood a number based on three factors, per capita income, parents' education level, and race. By moving the focus from the individual to the neighborhood, the district never actually looks at the child's individual race, but still achieves a high level of racial integration. Oh, you got the teacher. Malcolm X Elementary exemplifies the Berkeley ideal. After school, kids shout at each other in Spanish and Farsi, play hopscotch to hip-hop rhymes. Nineteen racial categories are listed on Berkeley Unified's enrollment form, and a lot of them are represented here. And of course, they're not just in the schoolyard. They're also behind the scenes. At a PTA meeting at Malcolm X, around 50 people show up to plan fundraisers and work over school policy. The motion (coughs) to support this anti-harassment policy by the Malcolm X PTA stands, and you can bring that to the school board tonight. Thank you very much. Gathered around wooden tables in the comfortable library at Malcolm X, parents, teachers, and administrators discuss topics ranging from gender discrimination to the fall walkathon to ice cream socials. According to PTA statistics, the school counts on the consistent involvement of around 70% of its families. For many Bay Area schools, that's just not a reality. Across the Bay in San Francisco, average parental involvement hangs around 20%. San Francisco School Board President Mark Sanchez says implementing a plan like Berkeley's would be difficult. San Francisco is a much larger district, so integrating schools requires busing and driving kids all over the city. And he says it's a hard sell. We did a, um, a lot of community conversations over last, the last school year. They interviewed 900 people across the district, parents and others. And they asked questions about diversity, and it, it seemed that almost everything trumped diversity. But Sanchez says convincing people of the importance of integration is just one part of the problem. He says the harder part is something he calls middle-class flight. In San Francisco, around 50% of white middle-class families attend private schools. What do you mean by diversity if the quote-unquote you know, dominant culture has chosen to excuse itself in large part from the public school system in an urban area? In Berkeley, that number is somewhat smaller. Closer to 30% of white families have opted out of the public schools. 
That was a key difference for Berkeley parent Julie Randolph, who says that in other districts she looked at, many parents believed they had to make a choice. You can either send your kid to a diverse school or you can send your kid to a good school. And my sense of what's happened in Berkeley is that this sort of assignment plan and the emphasis on supporting the schools is a demonstration that you can have both. For Michelle Lawrence, superintendent of Berkeley Schools, that's a good start. I really do think it's critical that communities like Berkeley um, not only continue this wonderful and strong tradition, but that they serve as a model so that others can understand how they can bring um, different cultures together. Lawrence recognizes that Berkeley is in an advantaged position, not least because of its legacy of community support. But she says that makes it all the more important to take a leadership position, to provide a mechanical model as well as political inspiration for districts that are struggling to achieve true diversity in their classrooms. And that's exactly what Lawrence's predecessor, Dr. Neil Sullivan, wanted when he was superintendent of Berkeley schools four decades ago. I, in my opinion, we don't need more public polls and general information. What we need now is action by this board based on what this community is ready to accept. For KALW News in Berkeley, I'm Thea Croman. You can hear all of our stories and send us your comments and suggestions at KALW.org. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Holly Kernan. Support for this public radio podcast comes from Vanguard, offering investments designed to help individuals and institutions reach their long-term financial goals. 1-888-VANGUARD.